What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Legends cast. I, of course, am Mets outfielder Albert Almora Jr., joined today by my special guest, PJ Conlon, Ireland native, yes, former Mets pitcher, former Brooklyn Cyclone, again, Ireland's native. Mm. PJ Conlon, how the hell are you? Top of the evening to you, Rob. <laughs> oh, you're well. You're the one wearing the uh, the the St. Patrick's Day special Mets jersey. So I feel like you so, should be PJ Conlon. So this jersey is actually really cool. I'm wearing because you got since you guys can't see me, mm-hmm. I am wearing a green and black Mets jersey that I purchased in the year 2009 in the inaugural season of City Field. Back then, if anyone remembers, the Mets had a few players uh, design jerseys, or I don't know if they actually designed them themselves, but they had like individual jerseys for like five Mets. And it was like, it was Daniel Murphy, which is the one I'm wearing. There was Bobby Parnell. There was Gary Sheffield, uh, Jason Bay. And someone else, I can't remember. I always really wanted the Bobby Parnell one, and I mm. still kind of do. And I've looked it up on eBay, and I just can't find it. It was not really that nice. It was brown camo. But, <laughs> but I feel like that fits really well for Bobby Parnell. Oh, totally. But I wish I could have just, like, run the gamut back then. Because each and one of those jerseys, I wish I had today. Like, mm-hmm. especially Parnell and Gary Sheffield. Um, I mean, any Gary Sheffield story. Mets merch would be gold to us Mets legends he was a bright spot he was a bright spot of that 2009 team um that team a lot of parallels to this team like we've talked about but Sheffield was it was a met for that one year Mm -hmm. and I really liked him back then I really wish that he played again but uh again after that year but I do think like anyone who is like our age generally likes Gary Sheffield primarily because of his batting stance. Like if, if you were to ask any, you know, 25 to 35 year old, you know, baseball fan, like what was the number one batting stance you imitated the most? Probably like 90% of them would say Gary Sheffield because it was so iconic. Yep. And it's fun to do too. I played wiffle ball over the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, with one of my buddies um we had like a little miniature league mm. um we played like once a once a month once every three weeks and um it was really fun but sheffield is always my stance always yeah. the wiggle of the bat him yeah. or albert Pujols, Pujols with like the thigh heavy super stance. wide stance yeah 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 um yeah i miss that i miss playing wiffle ball yeah wiffle ball's to, the best I used to go to a swim club with my friend. He was a member. I was not, Mm. but he used to bring me like every single day. So I didn't, I didn't have to pay like he did, but I still got to, I still got to reap the rewards. And at this swim club, they had a wiffle ball court and it was really fun. Wow. And it was like, not anything too special. Like it was under, but it was nice because it was, underneath like these big trees so even it was really hot out like it was a Mm -hmm. little bit cooler there it had like a like a regular fence and the board like where the strike zone was was just like wood 
Mm -hmm. um and it was like it was like it was like concrete pavement so (laughs) it's amazing that we didn't fall perfect but it was great it was like you play wiffle ball run into the pool go get some cheese fries wiffle ball cheese fries swimming jumping off the the top uh board what do you call that the high dive yeah high dive yeah I used to more be so cheese fries. I think I was so cool. More cheese, so much <laughs> cheese fries. I probably ate more cheese fries then than ever. Shout out to cheese fries at Hilltop Swim Club, which is no longer there. It's um, interesting. Um, it's interesting you say that because I had like a very, I have a very like distinct wiffle ball memory as well growing up. Um, like we had a pool in our backyard, and the kid who lived right behind me was a year older than me. And uh, he was a big Red Sox fan. And I was, you know, obviously a big Mets fan growing up. Uh, But we were like, we were probably like the two non-Tigers or Indians fans like in the neighborhood. Um, But I had like a bucket of wiffle balls. And our back fence was lined with these just like green shrub trees. And so it was perfect. His backyard was you know Fenway Park with like a green monster short you know short uh short fence with tall trees as like you know you got to get them over to hit a home run uh and then my front yard was like uh you know we would call Shea Stadium basically but it was just you know we would we would play from as if home plate was like the corner of my front yard where like the driveway and the um and the sidewalk met and so we would we would do something similar basically we would you know run around in our bare feet play wiffle ball for a few hours jump in the pool you know that kind of thing and uh 2009 was particularly fun because gary sheffield was on the mets so i could like actually do it and we would play games like red Sox versus mets um and like imitate players tried to become a switch Switch hitter trying to be Jose Reyes. <laughs> uh, he was, you know, he was another one where I feel like he had a very distinct stance too. And I think when you're a kid, mm-hmm. you're very receptive to that. And you're very, like now, I don't even know some, like, I feel like there's not really, I don't, I don't notice it as much as I once did. Yeah. A guy's stances, you know, maybe guys have less, uh, nuanced stances for lack of a better word i don't no i think it's just as i think it's just the same i think i think when you're an adult you do less emulation of people especially if you're like that their age (laughs) you know agreed yeah (laughs) these guys are our age it'd be a little weird to do that right right Uh, i hear what you're saying like i don't i don't really notice that stuff so much anymore but it's like i do think if i was you know say 10 years old 11 years old right now like Jeff McNeil has a pretty you know unique batting stance I think Michael Conforto Conforto too and like that swing to a certain degree yeah Jonathan VR just go up hacking you know what I mean (laughs) like (laughs) if you want to imitate Javi Baez's uh batting impression just go up there and flail like you don't know what you're doing uh 75 percent of the time uh, that other 25 just rocket just, just rocket. absolute laser beams yeah <laughs> i don't want to get attacked for saying that i i know that's not an accurate percentage uh split Kinda. up there 
What's he hitting? Kind kind of. He um he's hitting he's not I think maybe he's hitting in like the 240s. So yeah. Bob. Okay, well, yeah, overall he's batting 243. In, but that's assuming that he yeah. strikes out and homers and that's it. <laughs> so like, I mean, that's what it feels like. In wiffle ball terms, like that's that's what it would be is either strikeout or home run. So if you guys want to attack us for that one, at Met Legends on Twitter, and we'll talk about it there. <laughs> Fair enough. But now that we're on the topic of Javi Baez, um, he just returned from the injured list on Sunday. Oh, yeah, he did. Which is August 23rd. I'm sorry. Today's August 23rd. He, yes. re- he returned <laughs> yesterday, yesterday, which is August 22nd. I did some quick division, some quick subtraction there i'm gonna stop it's been a long we are not math pod (laughs) (laughs) this is not the math legends pod this is this is this is the Mets legends cast dude i Um, I hear you man it's been a long day it's been a long day i worked i made lattes for the lovely people of the greater new york city area um and it was great but my mind is a bowl of porridge at this point but Javi Baez returned on Sunday and his first at bat back, he nearly missed a home run, hit a double that contributed to a Mets three run first inning. And he did something good later in the game too, right? He, he, he chipped in another hit, he hit as well. He right? hit another double. And I think it was that second double where he had, he pulled off a really nifty slide on Trey Turner, who's been getting a lot of love for his like slide into the plate. That was super smooth. And then Javi was just like, hey, I'm the real slide king. And just literally like Tokyo drifted around him into second base. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a, that was a really cool slide. I'm sure you folks have seen the replay of that, the GIF format of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool that it also kind of involved Trey Turner, right? Because Trey Turner yeah. was the one that was trying to lay down the tag. Yeah. So it's funny that it involved him as well. Mm-hmm. So w- when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you know, we're about three and a half weeks removed from the trade deadline now, almost mm-hmm. a month removed from the trade deadline. We were optimistic about Javi Baez. Since then, he's been on the injured list. Um, and so, and the Mets as a whole have uh, really, really felt fallen down in the standings. Um, they've shifted 11 games in the standings in the last three weeks um which is similar to 2007 except they're not doing it like at the very last moment so if they are letting us down now at least like we have a month like to to kind of like make peace with it instead of like losing on the last day of the season having to sit with that all winter i kind of think Um, i kind of think having a month to chew on it though might be worse because having a month left there's still that sliver of you know, Mets fandom insanity of being like, it's not over yet. Yeah, exactly. Like this season is absolutely on life support. And, uh, you know, we're going to do our due diligence of post-mortem after the season ends, whenever that may be. Um, But like, oh man, these past three weeks have been really, you know, for lack of a better term, rage inducing. Yes. Um, Like, I think the Rich Hill start in Los Angeles, um, you know, it was just such, it was the first inning just encapsulated that this entire stretch for the Mets, for me, 
uh, Brandon Nimmo led off the game with a double. And you're like, all right, cool. Got something working already. That's nice. And then uh, they went down one, two, three after that. And as then, they do. <laughs> yeah, as they do. And then the second pitch of the bottom of the first inning goes just squeaks over the left field, you know, wall right over Dom's head. And I just turned off the TV, chucked the remote and didn't watch any of the rest of the game. I've been doing the same and I don't think it makes you a bad fan. If you're not watching the Mets right now. No, of course not. Um, They're unwatchable. They're unwatchable. This is one of, if not the worst offensive stretches I've seen Mm -hmm. as a Mets team. Yeah. Maybe in my lifetime. And I know some people are going to say 2015 had some bad moments, but you have to, you have to figure in 2015 before the Mets got Cespedes and Uribe and Kelly Johnson and Michael Conforto being called up, they had John Mayberry Jr. and Eric Campbell batting in the middle of their lineup. Mm-hmm. This team has Pete Alonzo, who Pete, you're you're fine. Yeah. You've been doing what you can do to carry this offense. You're pretty much the only one along with Brandon Nemo. Yeah. But you have players that should actually be talented like Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto. Now Baez is back. We'll see what he does. Lindor should be coming back as well, but Dom Dom Smith to a degree as well. I mean, he Dom Smith, definitely he's, he's getting his singles, but he's not, he's not hitting for any kind of power. It's Um, and JD Davis. He had his home run on Sunday mere seconds after I tweeted that he should be placed on the IL. So thanks for that. JD made me look like an idiot after like striking out with the bases loaded a million times in the last week. Yeah. Um, So, but anyway, that's, that's where the Mets are at right now. Um, Mm -hmm. We could go on a tangent about that. I'm sure we would both be able to fill up hours worth of content on that alone. Yeah. I want to talk about Javi Baez a little bit because now that the season is on life support, the Mets, it would be a miracle if they made the playoffs. And even if they do somehow squeak in, they're not going far in the playoffs probably. Um, I, I say that with some sort of confidence. You don't really know once you get there what happens. But this team, this, you know, at this point, I'm already kind of trying to look towards next season because yeah. there needs to be some serious changes. Baez yeah, before, is a free agent. Before we get too deep into it, the last thing I'll say on this season is – in order for the Mets to accomplish anything this season and, you know, make it to the playoffs and advance even a single round, so many things have to go perfectly from here on out that it's, it seems pretty insurmountable at this point. They basically have to rattle off at least a 15-game winning streak uh, between now and then to, to really put themselves back into playoff picture uh, because the wild card is pretty much – out of the picture for the NL East, any NL, NL, any NL East team that gets into the playoffs is going to have to win their division. Um, that being said, the pitching staff um, is really taxed and Sin, like Syndergaard and DeGrom would have to come back and be effective in order to mount any sort of playoff run, which is asking a lot of both of those guys uh right now so yeah i mean we're not dead yet but we're close yeah i mean it's and 
like you said, I mean, I mean, crazier things have happened. Um, you know, the Red Sox once beat the Yankees uh, four straight games in the ALCS to yep. that, which had never been done before. So you never know. But the Atlanta Braves are starting to get healthy little by little. Uh, the guys they added at the trade deadline um, have proved to be effective. Uh, at the very least, Jorge Soler has. He, he he's been hitting some home runs. Travis Darno is back. Um, Happy for Acuna. him. Yeah, love yeah, Darno. Me too. Shout outs to Travis to TDA. Um, but yeah, I, I think definitely seems insurmountable. You know, this team has been for, so frustrating anyway, where it's like, I just want to like try to think about next year because mm-hmm. I think that at the very least, like maybe they could have some sort of shake up that'll kind of light a fire under their butts for next year. Um, you know, and also I, I think there'll be some changes made in the front office and yeah. whatnot, but coaching um, staff as well, I'm sure. Yeah. But Javi Baez, the Mets gave up Pete Crow Armstrong for him who was one of their top prospects. I don't hate that they gave P. Crow Armstrong up um, mm-hmm. now that I've sat with it for a few weeks. When it first happened, I was a little bit reactionary. Um, I didn't love it. You know, first round pick uh, just last year. And I liked that they, that they drafted P. Crow Armstrong. I liked what I saw from him in spring training in the limited yep. uh, sample. Um he is hurt. He he's been out the whole year, or he's when at the time of the trade he was supposed to miss the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, he missed a lot of the season. So and and Pico Armstrong, it's not like they were giving up a Jared Kelnick type piece, but you know, first round pick, you, you know, who's young, you don't know. Yeah, and the way and the uh, way you kind of have to look at it, I think, is that I think I believe the front office has every intention of re-signing Javi Baez. Um, whether or not they actually get that done definitely remains to be seen throughout the offseason. That'll that'll be kind of like a main storyline, I bet. Um, yeah. Him and Marcus Stroman, who we'll also get to in a little bit as well. But with Javi Baez, I think that, you know, I think they really want to build this team around Lindor and Baez together. And then everyone else is sort of like a supporting role. Uh, in the offense yeah I agree of course of course I mean he's the face of the franchise along with DeGrom Mm -hmm. Um, he's a household name everyone knows Alonzo Uh, he has that kind of David Wright I don't want to compare him to David Wright completely because I think that would be unfair they're individuals but he does have that some similarities to Wright in that he's the guy that kind of answers the questions in the locker room when the team is struggling. Mm-hmm. He has the personality that makes him a good leader in the clubhouse. Um, he talks to the media, uh, answers all their questions. He tries to be the voice of reason. He says things that kind of piss me off sometimes. Like when he said that you get to watch baseball, <laughs> you should smile, you know, making the fan base seem like, they don't know what they're that what they're talking about was kind yeah. of a slap in the face. I don't know if he meant it that way, but oh, he totally Javi, didn't. He's too. I think, uh, like, he's. I don't want to say he's an idiot, but like, <laughs> I don't like. I think he just didn't deliver the message that he was trying to deliver effectively. Like, it's hard to because when yeah. you're in, when you're playing in the New York media, like, and you're playing in the New York market. Mm-hmm. 
everything you say is super magnified because there's so many different outlets, especially being, being a Mets fan where you want just the success and you want to see the team yeah. succeed. And it, and we've been through so much heartbreak that every little thing like that is, is under a microscope. Right. Um, but anyway, back to Baez, I kind of want to play devil's advocate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking a lot about Baez's future in Queens and I fully agree with you. And I think that the Mets traded with Baez traded for Baez with the intentions of re-signing him. But I think that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world that they didn't resign him. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think a lot of people probably have been thinking about the same, but there's some appealing names on the market right now who I think the Mets could maybe benefit from signing instead of uh, allocating a lot of their resources to Baez, mm-hmm. who I think would be a good second baseman or a third baseman defensively, depending on where you want to put him. But he's a, he's a shortstop. That's his main position. Um, and that's the kind of money he's going to ask for, regardless of playing shortstop or not, you know? Of course. And he's, he's one of the top shortstops on the market. Yeah. You have him, you have Carlos Correa, who's only 27, and you have Trevor Story. Um, and a guy who really fascinates me, uh, that's a free agent again this winter, is Marcus Semyon, mm-hmm. who is having a monster year with the Blue Jays right now. He has 5.3 wins above replacement, according to fan graphs. And he's someone who, at second base, also has 11 defensive runs saved this year. He's a shortstop by trade, too. He's played a lot of shortstop in his career. Um, He's played a little bit of third base, but it was a long time ago. Um, But he's a guy who I I really like, and I think he – he would be a really good fit with this team. Um, he's someone who I don't know if he's going to, if he's going to ask for the same type of money as Baez. I mean, at this point, you know, he's a top name on the market with that, yeah. with that, how successful this season has been, mm-hmm. you know, he's a couple years older than Baez, but there's some, there's some good names out there, you know, third base too. Yeah. Chris Bryant is also going to be a free agent. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a super interesting off season in terms of who gets signed and who goes where. Um, but the thing I'll say about Simeon is that, you know, he brings really good defense. One thing that looking, just looking at his baseball reference page, that sort of concerns me is that his OPS plus has been below average all but two seasons in his career. The This mm. season currently, and uh, back in 2019, when he received a fair amount of MVP votes, he had a great season that year for Oakland. Uh, and I think that is ultimately what got him uh, the sort of deal that he got in Toronto, because it was, you know, people, people are kind of wiping the 2020 season clean and looking mm-hmm. more at like 2019 and what you did before. Um, and Simeon had such an amazing 2019 and he's having such an amazing 2021. I think those are going to be the two benchmarks for him when for, you know, five or six years, you know, prior to that, he was like a super average offensive player. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, even looking at last year and last year, like you said, it was 60 games. It was a weird circumstantial season. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if the Mets only played 60 games this year, they'd be in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that's – this team doesn't really deserve to be there. You know, but looking at, looking at Semyon's numbers last year, his average exit velocity, his ex-WOBA, his barrel percentage, his expected batting average – his hard hit percentage and his expected slugging were all on the lower end of the spectrum, according to baseball savant. Obviously that was a little bit of an aberration because in 2019, his numbers are more in line with where they are this year. Um, But he's someone I I definitely would keep like, I like, I don't, I mean, all of this is just speculatory because at the end of the day, I think the Mets are really going to try to re-sign Javi Baez, especially if he has a hot last six weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably played himself. If he has, like, the next six weeks, if they're hot, if he's hot, he's probably, like, done enough to play himself onto the 2022 Mets. And yeah. Lindor, your $340 million man, is really good buddies with him. I'm sure that he will be really pushing hard for them to re-sign Baez. Um, obviously, that is maybe going to be taken with a grain of salt. Maybe not. No one knows how that'll go, but it definitely, it was something that Lindor was very stoked about when he got traded here. And I think that the Mets like the idea of having those two up the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Semyon, yeah, of course we haven't even got to see it. We haven't even had, we haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah. So I'm sure it'll be exciting. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but just playing devil's advocate a little bit. Sure. Kind of looking forward to his next year. Semyon's a name I really like. And Chris Bryant also, who seemed like he might be a Met um, at various times last offseason, midseason this year. Um, those are two guys who I think, if they don't choose to go the Baez route, those guys could fill a spot that Baez would leave if he left. I do wonder, though, if at this point Chris Bryant you know, I wonder if his third base days are behind him. Like, to me, it feels like moving forward, he's going to be viewed more so as a corner outfielder than, and more of like a fill-in third baseman if mm-hmm. the situation requires kind of kind of guy. So I, I, I think the situation at third base is a little bit more complex because it's really hard, uh, especially in today's, you know, just with the crop of players that, are in the major leagues right now, it's really hard to find like a really good solid defensive third baseman. That's also a really good hitter. Like, I think yeah. that's just very few and far between it's, it's a much more challenging position than I think. <laughs> and I think it's given credit for honestly, like throughout baseball at any level, like third base is hard, mm-hmm. you know? And like, yes. I don't know. I think Chris Bryant, uh, people value his bat more than his defense anyway. So they're going to, for his own longevity, I would see him as a corner outfielder moving forward. Yeah. I mean, at third base, he, for most of his career, he's been like average, slightly below average. I mean, Mm -hmm. in his career at third base over 5,000 innings, he has negative two defensive runs saved, which isn't awful. I mean, JD Davis is like the worst third baseman ever. So like I would, would I would upgrade. disagree. I think Alec Bohm is worse. <laughs> Alec Bohm is pretty bad too. Um, <laughs> he has negative eleven defensive runs saved this year. Um, Davis has negative six. Bohm has played a little bit more innings, but they're both pretty bad. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, Bohm probably has less of an excuse though, because Davis isn't really a third baseman. Um, Bohm is like a natural third. Would you say? Davis just has an absolute hose for an arm. Yeah. Well, he used to pitch in college, days. which yeah. I really would like to see. But yeah. the Mets need to – there's a lot of decisions that will be made. We'll continue that next week where there's other positions we'll tackle um, kind of as this season winds down and the mm. Mets have murdered our hopes and, and, and hurt our feelings as well. So, But <laughs> another name that we want to talk about kind of to, to wrap up our segment before we reminisce on some Mets legends – uh, is Marcus Stroman, which me and Mike were talking about before the podcast. Yeah. Um, he had a great outing again on Sunday. Uh, he has a sub three ERA, uh, which ranks eighth in baseball. He's been a godsend to this rotation uh, after accepting the qualifying offer. And, um, and he's just know, doing the, Mets, the dang thing this year. Like he just continues to go out there and have good start after good start. And you know, sometimes he gets picked up, sometimes he doesn't by his offense, but that that doesn't change the way his approach at all. I mean, this is this is something that I've become more and more passionate about as the year has gone on. Is that Marcus Stroman? Not only is he thriving in a Mets uniform, he's one of, I think he's one of the most valuable pieces to uh, the Mets that they have. And there's a lot of goodwill there. Um, and anyone who talks smack about Marcus Stroman, like I just immediately have beef. There's no, there's no reason to not like Marcus Stroman in my mind. Yeah. And I, I think that's why Tim Healy, you know, and Tim, you're probably not listening to this anyway, but uh, on the off chance you are, you know, I just think, I don't know, you know, I mean, I just think it was a weird, like, person to attack, like, yeah. after his last start. Well, but because... it happens every time, whether it's Tim Healy or not, you know? True, it's, yeah. It's, it's always someone who's got something negative to say about Marcus Stroman. And, and that, it doesn't that's really what matter. I'm It doesn't really matter, like, either. Like, if he performs good or bad, it's like, right. it's something, you know? It's like, he just people just don't like him and it sucks because it's like, I don't, I don't really can't remember a pitcher who's gotten more of an unfair treatment from the fan base um, than Stroman in recent years. I mean, the guy is having an amazing season. Yeah. Um, if anybody else was putting up the, these numbers, I think that fans would be stoked, but it's like, yeah. And what players to, aren't people... allowed to, you know, tweet out their own highlights. Is that, yeah. Like, when did that become a negative thing? How is that boasting? How is that bragging? If you have, if you made a sweet play, <laughs> like if you made a diving catch in the gap, I'm sure Kevin Kiermeyer, you know, if he made a, an amazing play and he went and retweeted a highlight from like the Rays account or something like that, like everyone will be like, oh, cool, Kevin, you know, like. <laughs> also, MLB does a really terrible job of promoting their own talent. Yeah. And you look at other sports like basketball and football and hockey and baseball, they just don't have it down, you know, like it's not, mm. I think that's why basketball is so popular, especially is like they like the league knows how to market their stars. Yeah, yeah. They know, yeah. they know how to, how to really engage with the fan base, you know? And I think Stroman is, is, is what I like about Stroman a lot is that he engages with his fans mm -hmm 
in a way where you don't really see players doing that, you know, like yeah. so many people, you know, have, have, have been retweeted by him, have had their tweets liked by him. Has, yeah. has, he responded, he's responded to, you know, like that level of interaction is really cool. If I was it is. 11 years old, 12 years old, you know, and Carlos Beltran was, was <laughs> responding to my tweets on Twitter or, yeah you know cliff floyd was like uh-huh. that'd be amazing i didn't we didn't have that when we were growing up you know right. like so and also the thing with stroman is it's not like he sucks like it's not like he has like a 5.5 yeah. era and he's like he's a top you know, 10 pitcher in the national league right now like why yeah. <laughs> what's what's the deal here you know and also it's like if you don't re-sign him this winter like he's gonna be a really tough player to replace yeah, um, I, I, I can't really think of all that many free agent pitchers that are coming onto the market that can provide anything better than what Marcus Stroman has done this year. Do you want to hear the top starting pitchers on the market yes. for this upcoming season? Yes. I'll give you a hint. Stroman's probably the number one. Yeah. Um, so you have – I'm just going to name the, the good ones, quote, unquote. Sure. So you have – you have Alex Cobb, who's having a decent season, but that's Alex Cobb. He's 34. Yeah. Johnny Cueto has a $22 million club option. Anthony De- Descalfani from the Giants is a free agent. He's having a great year. Kevin Gosman, who if the Mets signed him, that'd be great. Yeah. John Gray, another guy who could be appealing. I like John Gray. You have a 38-year-old Zach Grinke who you know, probably has maybe a, a good year or two left in him. Mm-hmm. You have Merrill Kelly, who has a $4.25 million club option, which very well may be picked up. You have Clayton Kershaw, who is almost 100% going back to L.A. Yeah, what, what else is he going to do other than re-sign with L.A.? You have, uh, let's see, I'm scrolling down the list, Charlie Morton, who's 38. You have Robbie Charlie Ray. Morton's 38? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Robbie continue, Ray. sorry. Okay. Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray. Carlos, Rod- Carlos Rodon having a great year, um, but he's also had a very unsuccessful career up to this year. Yeah. Scherzer, who probably is not signing with the Mets. He's never going to sign with the Mets. Stroman. Cindergard, who hasn't thrown a pitch since the 2019 season. He's probably going to take a qualifying offer. You have a 39-year-old Justin Verlander who is recovering from Tommy John surgery. Then you have a 40-year-old Adam Wainwright who's probably either going to retire or he's going to re-sign with the Cardinals. Yeah. And that's it. That's your that's your starting pitching free agent list, right? There. I mean, there's like, yeah, there's decent names on there, but like just given given the season, I think the only exceptions of guys who are having better seasons than uh than Stroman is right now are Gosman and DiScofani of that list. Yes. And, and Gosman, like, Gosman should be a guy that the Mets should be trying to pursue in addition yes. to Stroman. Yeah, I because, agree. Because bringing Stroman back should just be a given at this point. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the rest of the rotation going into next year, you have Jacob deGrom, who – has thrown a lot of innings in the past in a given season, but he's coming off a short in 2020 and a year where he's been injured and hasn't pitched a full season. You have Noah Syndergaard who 
hasn't had a full season since 2019. You have Carlos Carrasco, who's been hurt. You have Tyler McGill, who's thrown more innings than he's ever thrown before. You have Taiwan Walker, who's breezed past the amount of innings that he's pitched in his career. Mm-hmm. You have David Peterson, who really should not even be relied on to be your fifth starter. He should start the year in AAA. If he's your fifth starter come opening day, you have a problem. Mm. And you have – who else? I mean, that's it, right? Yamamoto, Jordan I Yamamoto. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, I And mean, you need depth. I mean, it's, it's becoming clearer and clearer as time goes on that, like, you can never have too many starting pitchers. And, like, if you can have a solid guy like Gosman or DiSclefani who really seems to be figuring it out and, you know, can, can provide at least, even if it's, like, 80% of what they're doing in San Francisco, if they can do that for the Mets and be, like, a 3-4-ish range starter for 32 starts, take that any day of the week. Absolutely. Um... It should be an interesting offseason. Um, it sucks that we're kind of talking about that now and we're not talking about the Mets, like, gearing up for a postseason appearance. I mean, um, and who's to say we won't come, you know, end of September? Like, I, I have been very much down in the dumps with every other Mets fan, you know, over the past few weeks. But at the same point, like, as precipitous as the fall has been, the rise can be just the same, uh, especially given this, this series of games that they have coming up against Miami and Washington. If the Mets can stomp on those teams and really like get Lindor back, you got Javi back, Syndergaard's coming, DeGrom, who knows, but whatever. Like that kind of has to, all of that has to go right. And it can, there is a path where all of that does go right. And then, you know, the Mets kind of catch fire in September, kind of like what they did in 2019. Like this is kind of what I've been saying all along throughout this stretch is that we've seen this team, we've seen the offense just shrivel and dry up like none other with this core group of players. I'm talking specifically about guys like Nimmo McNeil, Conforto, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo. Like all of these guys have had monumental struggles for, weeks at a time and then just like that it just clicks and then they take off so maybe that won't happen this year i don't know but that's kind of what's keeping me going and watching these games god damn it mike you're gonna make me start having faith again in this team (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate the positivity as always you certainly keep me in check um you're a good yin to my yang um Dude, I've been yeah. I've been yanging hard though. I've been on the dark side of, yeah, of my for fandom sure. for for about three weeks now. But that's I mean that's just what's been that's just been my back of you know in the back of my mind what I've been thinking about with this team. Yeah, I mean I, I think I was kind of on that train a little earlier, you know, like right around the deadline. Yeah, uh, I kind of soured on the team when they didn't add to the point that they should have at the deadline, yeah. um, and that might have been a little premature. At that point, it was still like it was a lot less bleak than it is now. Um, mm-hmm. And I tried to lighten up a little bit. And then this kind of most recent stretch has been like, you know, it's been tough. Um, you know, and I, I guess the only good thing is like that we have like a lot of 
good friends that are fans that we can kind of yeah. lament like you know like these losses with like mm-hmm. like it sucks but it's also nice to like not be alone in it and like have company about it and like feel those yeah. emotions with it you know yeah um, shared misery is definitely better than solitary misery yeah shout out to the elite mets besties on twitter.com if you don't know the greatest group chat to ever exist if you don't know well <laughs> you better find out uh, yeah before we go let's reminisce on some players let's do it today i'm thinking about ricardo rincon <laughs> Moneyball legend. Moneyball Mets and legend. Mets legend. Yes. Love me some Ricardo Rincon. Fever dream during his time as a Met. Uh, 2008, I think he was a Met. The uh, final season of right. Yeah, I think that's so right. I'm, I'm remembering Rincon. Who are you remembering today? Well, speaking of 2008, I can't remember if we've done Fernando Tatis Sr. or not. He's, um, a, he's a forgotten Mets legend. I, I am going to go Fernando Tatis Sr. for a very specific reason because I went to a Rockies game last week where I saw Fernando Tatis Jr. absolutely tater a ball to dead center, um, which was super cool, just reminiscing on watching his dad in 2008 hit two home runs. Um, I don't remember who the opponent was, but that was the last Mets game that I've been to was uh, a Fernando Tatis two-home run day at Shea Stadium. Damn, dude, you've never been to City Field? Never been to City Field. Holy cow, dude, you need to come to New York, and you need to let me give you the grand experience. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. <laughs> next year. Next year you're doing it, dude. You can crash yeah. with me. We're going to do yeah. it. We will broadcast live on Twitter.com. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> we'll take your Q&As. We'll do, a, we'll do a, our podcast in person. Ooh. Which would be great yeah so yeah it'll be fun mike j aka pj conlin signing off along with rob pierceall aka who the fuck did i say i was earlier i don't even remember albert almora albert almora jr there you go (laughs) (laughs) me and mike will be back later this week where we reminisce about some past mets moments uh, hopefully Mike's baseball cards will come in the mail. He ordered a couple hobby boxes of Topps mm-hmm. Heritage. My local card shop was closed today, so I didn't get to pick up any cards as well. So hopefully we'll have some cards to crack open next week for you guys as well. Trips should be packs. a fun experience. Um, Mike, love you, brother. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Love you too, man. See you next time.